congregation, God speaks through his word and to us also what we have sung already from Psalm 18. And we will read now a portion of Psalm 18, the verses 1 through 31. Psalm 18, 1 through 31. And I think it's important that I also read the heading of it as well. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, then we begin reading verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid, the sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rolled upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire, he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from they, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments are before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, 
you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? So far, the reading of God's precious word. Our text is to be found in here in this passage. That is Psalm 18 and then verse 30. And let me just repeat it for you. Psalm 18 and verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So far, the reading of God's holy and precious word. Our congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is no news to you whatsoever that we live in confusing times, very confusing times, distressing, distressing times even, especially in some of the nations because of the warfares going on and also because of the earthquake. I mentioned in prayer already, earthquake in Afghanistan, uh, at least 2,000 people perished already. But it is therefore quite ready for me to say that we live in a very distressing time, confusing time. Many people have lost confidence, confidence in what is happening in society, what is happening in the world, confidence also, they've lost confidence in, in their government officials. And some of it is justified. We need to pray for our government officials that the Lord will give them wisdom to go in the right direction. But alas, Quite often, it is going in the wrong direction. But as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I, we have great confidence that God, the Lord, is still in control and that He has something to tell us by way of what is happening in the world today. This is why I must speak of it this hour, as my text states, as for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is proven, he is a shield to all who trust in him. And so, I want to speak to you about Christian confidence this hour. In the first place, confidence in God's way. Secondly, confidence in God's word. And then thirdly, confidence in God's warfare. So first then, confidence in God's way. Congregation, Psalm 18, as we have read it and also read the introduction to it, is, is a psalm of David. It is a psalm of confidence. And he composed it most likely in the later, later part of his years, of his life. He had defeated most of his enemies, and by the grace of God, it had become relatively peaceful in the land of Israel. 
At this point, David wants to declare, therefore, his feelings, and he indicates that he himself is already a confident man and that he loves the Lord, in whom he has this confidence. He has no regrets whatsoever in trusting in the Lord God all of his life, and he wants his people to know this. God has been good to David. And so he tells us in our text first something about his confidence in God's ways with him. Now, what does David mean here with God's way? He means here God's method of dealing with his people. David wants to speak very positively about God's way. Now, it is true, it is true that God did not always handle David very gently. Sometimes God had to discipline him, especially after he had committed some public sin. Then God's way for him was difficult, and God's method was definitely not very pleasant whatsoever, to say the least. And yet David reflects on it, and he has to say, as for God, his way is perfect. He admits that though God's hand was heavy, and though God's way was difficult, and though God's method was hard, he, David, he needed it. And so he says, God's way is perfect. God's way is perfect. God's way ends up being a good way, a perfect way. Now, congregation, God's way will never disappoint in the end. In contrast to the world's ways, which does definitely disappoint and which does definitely deceive in the end, and our young people need to understand this because the world and its ideologies presently are very deceptive and so many and I've read it over and over again. So many young people are being damaged because of it. Don't go in the way of the world. God has continued through David's life. And he has continued through David's failures to bring him to the point that he could say, and this is what you and I need to learn too, Lord, I have no regrets that you have dealt with me in your way. And this is one of the things that you and I can count on when God is your God. And true, God must sometimes afflict us. He must afflict those whom he loves. But remember, God never afflicts according to the measure of our sins. At the end of your and my difficulties, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, will be able to say, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes, your laws. You can read of that in Psalm 119, the verses 67 and 71. In Hebrews 12, chapter 11, God tells us, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, disciplined by it. 
And so the question can be asked, do you and I, do we understand God's way? He says, as it were, and this is what David would say, this may sometimes be my way with you, that you have to go through difficult times, illness, loss, troubles. You feel like you're being chastened. You feel like you're being afflicted. But does it awaken in you a prayer life? Does it bring you back to the Word of God? Does it put your faith into exercise again? Well then, you will profit from these difficult times. This is what God says to us. You see, all things, also afflictions, all things work together for good to those who love God. Now we need to be very careful with that text because we can't just go up to a person who is going through a lot of trouble. You know, all things work together for good. We need to be careful. We need to use that text very carefully. But at the same time, as we experience afflictions, we may know that because God is still in control, all things also are afflictions. And yes, I know something about afflictions as well, even in my own family. But all things work together for good to those who love God. For those who love God. Therefore, David could also say confidently at the end of his life, with all the afflictions that he has experienced, as for God, his way is perfect. I needed it. Now, I should mention this as well, because we should not always speak only in the negative way, because God's ways can also be perfect in a positive way, in a way that does not bring in afflictions or difficulties. His way can sometimes also bring us into refreshing times, times of revival, times of renewal. They do occur as well as God considers them helpful for you or for me. Good times. Perhaps you have experienced, you are experiencing those times at this very moment in your stage of life. It means that the favor of God is with you. His spiritual blessings are observable all around you. Your prayer life, oh, it's good. Church going, it's been a blessing because it brings you in close communion with the saints. The preaching, well, it feeds your heart. It stimulates you to higher thoughts of God as well and to greater deeds for Him. Well, these are, these are rewarding times. These are blessed times. These are times which you benefit in serving the Lord in a very experiential way. And you know that you will never regret having turned to the Lord when you did. And I sincerely hope that, that this type of spiritual season may not be strange to any of you. Those blessed times. Be sure then, when you are into, in such blessed times of refreshing, that you would also be refreshing to others as well that you can speak a word in season to those who are still weary, that you can lift up those who are still downcast, that you can encourage those who are still discouraged, that you can speak to them and say, you know, there is something good about serving the Lord. Most of all, 
when you are in one of those refreshing, one of those high times of Christian experience, be sure to let, let the Lord know this. Let the word of the Lord be shown to others by way of your mouth, by what you say, and also by way of your conduct, that you are grateful for the Lord giving you such enjoyment in the Christian life. And so when there are good times, but even when there are difficult times, God's way is perfect. Dear young people, I would like to assure you with this particular message that the Lord's way will never let you run off the cliff. You will never regret serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The world will tell you that Christianity is at best outdated and at its worst a bad choice. That's what the world will tell you. But the world doesn't know what it's talking about. It is the world instead, you see, that is handing out bad deals and shortchanging its people. Someone once said, the world rewards its lovers with nothing but heartaches and pain. But I may tell you that God rewards with joy. And when you learn sincerely to serve him out of thankfulness for the wonderful salvation you have experienced, you will never regret it. You will find joy in it. For example, God's purpose, boys and girls, God's purposely promises believing boys and girls that when they honor their father and their mother and those in authority over them, that they shall live long in the land that he has given them and live happily. You can read of this in Ephesians chapter 6, the verses 1, 2, and 3. You see, boys and girls, it is to be your, to your advantage to be Christian. It pleases God, and he will reward you for it even in this life already. He will certainly reward you for it in the life hereafter. And therefore, David could say it, as for God, his way is perfect. It is perfect as he takes you through troubles. It is perfect as he leads you from strength to strength. It is perfect as he leads you from little faith to great faith, from infants in Christ to men and women grown up in Christ. <clears throat> and so, dear people, are you in the way of the Lord? Are you in the way that is called the Christian way? Boys and girls, by nature, we are all inclined to go our own way, don't we? Which is the way that, that the world wants us to go. It's the way of sin. The world can have such a draw, can't it? It can pull so strongly. But one of the signs of grace is when serving God becomes more and more attractive than serving the world. Now, how is it with you, boys and girls? How is it with you? What attracts you and what draws you the most? What is foremost on your mind and in your heart in your daily life? And what way are you going? What way are you going? Remember the words of our text. As for God, his way 
is perfect. His way is perfect. Therefore, let us practice Christian confidence in the way of God. But Christian confidence is also confidence in God's word, as you may see this in the second place. Our text continues, the word of the Lord is proven. It is proven. Now, when David speaks these, these words of the Lord, this word of the Lord, he, he is primarily thinking of the Lord's word of promise to him. And David says, therefore, in our text, that the Lord's word is of promise, is proven. That's what he means by it. It is proven. It is tested. This means that this word of promise is a proven, it is a tested word, and it has proven to be fully, fully, completely reliable. The word of promise has gone out through, has gone through the fire of trials, and it has come through fully intact. That's what David means here. And you know that David has received a word of promise from the Lord one time when he was still a youth, when he was still a shepherd boy. The word of promise was that he would one day become king, king over Israel. Well, David put this promise to the proof. He put it to the test. <clears throat> he leaned on it. He hoped with it. He prayed about it. He sang of it as well, and he took that word of promise even through dangerous times, and he fought battles with it, and he found that the word of promise of the Lord wonderfully was wonderfully trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord is proven, he says, then at this stage of life. The Lord has done just as he has promised. And so David says, I have tested it, the test has proven it. The promise did come true. Now, this also means very much for David as far as it concerned the future as well. And, of course, all of us think about what is going to happen in the future for you and for me. And not only was it a concern for David, but it is a concern for all of us. <coughs> Not only had the Lord God promised David that he would one day sit on the throne of Israel, but also that his throne would in fact be an everlasting throne, and that someday an everlasting king would come from his line and would become the savior and would become the king of God's chosen people, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so David says, the word of the Lord is proven. I have tested it. His promise holds good. And whatever promise still lies ahead for me in the future, I know it will hold good as well. David had confidence in the word, the promises of God. David was confident that what the Lord had promised to him would happen. Now, you see, this is how the promises of the Lord are, you see. And therefore, David has a longing and a love for the Lord Jesus already, who was promised to him. Although it would still be a little bit more than a thousand years and a bit before Jesus would be born, for David, 
Jesus was already alive in the promise and his salvation was already secure in the promise. And now the question can be asked, have you and I, have we put the promises of the Lord ever to the test? Have we ever put them to the test? You know, church people react in different ways to the promises of God and I've heard them. I've heard them over the years. Some do not dare to embrace any of the promises of God because they do not think that they are from the, for them. They've said that so to me. Others have taken the very opposite approach and simply run away with it and say, well, of course, those promises are all for me. But listen, listen. Why has God given promises in his word to you and to me? Is it to leave those promises untouched until somehow they are foisted upon you? Or is it to run away with them and say, of course, these promises are mine? I would dare say, neither way. God has given promises in his word in order that they be put to the test by those who know about them, that they be put to the test. Therefore, David says, the word of the Lord is proven. This is his personal confession of what he has done with what the Lord has promised him. This is also what you and I must do with the word of the Lord's promise. You and I, we must put it to the test. This is part of the Christian life, dear people, that makes it rewarding and makes it a fruitful kind of life. Put it to the test. And so the question is, how is it with you? How does the word of promise function in your life? Have you put it to the test? For instance, the word of promise that all who come to the Lord, he would in no way cast away or turn away. Have you proven it? Have you proven it? Have you gone to the Lord with your troubles and with your difficulties and with your sins? Have you put that word that he is a forgiving God, have you put that word of promise to the test? Yes, the Lord does indeed promise forgiveness of sins. He promises renewal of hearts. Can you personally say, therefore, that it is a proven and it is a tested word of promise also for you personally? Or that other word of promise, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Have you proven it? Have you put it to the test? Have you gone to him? when you were distressed? Or don't you have any burdens in your life? What about the burdens of everyday life, of keeping yourself spotless from the world and keeping yourself holy before the Lord? Isn't that a burden? Have you told the Lord already, Lord, I'm weary, I'm tired, but my soul cannot find rest until it finds rest in you, O Lord God. Have you found the promise of rest to be proven and to be tested and to be true? I know I'm belaboring a point here, but you see, this is what it means to be confident, to be a confident Christian where you can say, yes, the Lord's word is promise, is true, it is reliable because I have personally proven 
and I have tested it. You see, you and I, we need to be busy with those promises of God. You and I, we need to know for yourself that the word of the Lord is proven. This is what makes Christianity and what makes for a Christian a confident kind of life. When you've experienced yourself what the word of promise has done for you and what the word of promise will still do for you in the future. Then the world may say that you're old-fashioned, you're not with it. Perhaps the world will say worse than that. But you may know for yourself that this is far better than being in step with the world, but then dreadfully deceived. Christian confidence, dear people, in the service of the Lord, I warmly recommend it to each one of you, young and old. May I persuade you, if I can, of this value that the Lord places in his word to us this hour. Let the Holy Spirit convince you through this word that you're hearing. As a Christian, you may have confidence in the word of God. It is a proven word. It is a totally reliable word. The Christian's confidence. Confidence in God's way. Confident in God's word. And now thirdly, confidence in God's warfare. Now, as Christians, as believers, you and I need protection. We need protection. Protection because the world and Satan don't like us. They don't like us. As Christians, we have enemies in the visible, but also in the invisible world, enemies who will sooner or later launch an attack on us, you and me. And David certainly found that out fast enough. Think only of the enemy that pursued him in the person of King Saul. David was at times pursued relentlessly like a hunted animal. How often didn't he have to flee for his life and he had to hide in the mountains and in the caves along the Dead Sea. The boys and girls, I'm sure, know the rough times that David went through before he became king. One of these days, he once lamented, I will yet fall into the hands of my enemy. But you know, God waged warfare for David. God made sure that David would meet with no ultimate harm. How? Was it by making him brave and strong and courageous? Well, yes, that too. And that is why he could confidently say in verse 29 of Psalm 18, For by you I can run against a troop, by my God I can leap over a wall. But there was something far more precious to David, something far more worthy of confidence, how God himself was his protector, and that God himself is the protector of his people. He, so David says, he is a shield to all who trust in him. And in the original, it refers to what we may now know nowadays called a bulletproof vest. Well, this is what God is for his people. 
Yes, it's true. God sometimes makes great warriors out of some people so that they can go out, that they can attack and do brave and valiant things for the Lord. They are good, remarkable soldiers of the cross, but they are relatively few. And I know there was a Polycarp and there was an Augustine in church history. There was a Luther and there was a John Calvin and a John Knox and a few other fighters who would actually be able to take up the sword of the Spirit and attack the enemy and run through troops and scale walls. But as I said already, they were relatively few. Most often, we as Christians do not think that such out-and-out warfare is possible even for us. Some feel that God does not really require from each one of us that we conquer the world. By and large, most Christians seem to have enough on their hands already just to fight against personal enemies such as indwelling sin and penetrating temptations. But could not more be done, dear people, in God's kingdom than just fighting off personal sins? Could we, do not, could we not do more to speak the gospel of a savior from sin to our neighbor next door or to the fellow that we work with, the shop? This too, you see, is entering into the enemy's camp and with the words of Jesus Christ, wage Christian warfare. Should we not, as, as Christians, be engaged in a spiritual warfare by reminding our government representatives of their duties to uphold the moral standards that are laid down for us in the Word of God? Your and my phone calls, your and my emails to our government representatives is like waging warfare. The Apostle Paul speaks of it, for instance, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. God calls us to such warfare, spiritual warfare. But as we hear this call, let us remember that it is God's warfare which he has already won through his son, Jesus Christ. After all, Jesus Christ himself has waged war, this, this warfare, and he already has won a splendid victory, and he won that on the cross of Calvary. As a Christian, we may now wage warfare in that, that in principle, the war has been won already. It's a warfare in which we may be confident to be well protected by God himself. And therefore, David says in our text passage, he is a shield to all those who trust in him. God himself is a shield and a protection around you. The enemies, yes, they do attack the Christian, and it's so sad that as Christians, we are not always aware of the enemies that are around us. But one thing that you and I may be confident of is that God is your and my shield. God is so close around you that he, as it were, is buckled up around you 
and like a wrap-around shield. That is why David uses the term shield. So much, dear people, so much does God protect you who practice confidence in him. This is God's warfare. Well, dear people, a Christian confidence is not something to be desired, is it? I trust it is, that every one of us desires this kind of confidence. Isn't this something that we should strive for, to become more and more like David in that respect, who could express his confidence in God's ways and in God's word and also in God's warfare? This is the confidence, you see, that God offers through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. This is the confidence that will leave you with no regrets in the end. This is the confidence which the world cannot understand and sometimes derides as foolish, but which the Bible teaches us and which must ring clearly and positively through the preaching of the gospel. And I hope it has done so also this hour. May I therefore commend to each one of you this confidence. I commend it to all of you who are in earshot of this message. Christ the Savior, he offers it to you by way of the sound of the gospel. The Spirit, as it were, holds it up for you to look at and to admire it and to become jealous of it. As he says, as the great merchant of salvation, come, buy, without money and without price. Come, seek it with the Lord. And God's way, God's word, and God's warfare will be your confidence because Jesus Christ, he has secured it by his great sacrifice on the cross. Now, just listen for a moment yet, and then we come to an end. Just listen for a moment to David's confidence once more. And it may be, may it also be your and my personal expression of confidence. When he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You hear it? He repeats the my aspect of it. God is for me. This shows that David had a very strong personal confidence in God, and he believed what he wrote here in our text. Verse 30, may this also be your and my confidence as well. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Lord God, we have heard from the mouth of your servant, or for the pen of your servant David, some great things in respect to having confidence in your way, in your word, and in your warfare. And now, Lord, we do ask that we too may have that kind of confidence in you, that we may look to you also as we live a life that is fraught with difficulties and that we may have to face more difficulties in the future, that we may have confidence in you and in you alone, for you are worthy to receive all that we can give also in 
showing our confidence in you. Bless us, we pray. Bless this congregation. We thank you that all things have gone well, also in the congregation. We thank you for Pastor Vogel and his wife and family. We thank you that Pastor Vogel can preach the word of the Lord from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, uphold and strengthen our brother and make all things well with his family as well. Bless the elders and the deacons, give them good instructions and may they be of good support to their pastor as well as the congregation itself. And so be with each one of us as we go our homeward way. And as we go about to do our daily task, remember us in your mercy. And as we go up to your house tomorrow to express our thanksgiving, may we be able to do it with heart and with soul and hand, and that we may show that we are truly thankful for you are worthy of our confidence. Dismiss us in your favor. Keep us safe on the roads and make all things well. And we ask this in the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' precious name. Amen.